Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the What's the Point podcast. My name is Eric Weiner and I am joined in studio today by fellow pastors, Pastor Lawrence and Pastor Danny. Good to be here. I love that we call this place a studio. This is a studio. Yeah, Where the, are we actually? This is actually the uh, the the women's cry room. Yeah, the baby room. cry room right outside um, the sanctuary. So Lawrence, Lawrence is actually sitting in, in one of the the rockers and the glider the rocker glider chair. The gliders, yeah. So if he falls asleep, if you if he stops talking during the podcast, you know what happens. Let it go. But right. but for for our sake, this is uh this has been turned into a studio. Um, I guess we'll. Wait, maybe studio. Maybe COVID will. <laughs> after COVID, we'll, we'll change that. But uh, it's it's a nice nice cozy room. You it know? is a cozy. Yeah. Room. I don't. We we don't usually get to spend time in here. It's yeah. usually uh, off limits. I feel like so. Yeah. Um, we've we've turned into a little studio for us. Uh, but yeah, guys, I'm glad to be be joined with you all as as we're kind of navigating uh, uh, another another episode going through the the Old Testament. So I, we have uh, we have our resident experts here with us <laughs> to to discuss Old Testament as we we specifically are looking at First Samuel as as we're uh, as a church we're going through the Bible reading plan uh, over the course of the next two years. Uh, we're currently halfway through uh, year one and uh, in First Samuel and, and so guys before before we jump into this today, um, I want to give us a little icebreaker here so so just to kind of get our feet wet. What is what's one person from the biblical storyline that that you particularly resonate with or identify with? Well, I like the word First Samuel because for me, I've always loved and resonated with David. Mm-hmm. You know, David's been like my go-to. Guy. I love the fact that he's called a man after God's own heart. I was like, I'd be if I could have that on my tombstone, that'd have been the uh-huh. awesomest thing. A man after God's own heart. Uh, I love the fact that he was also a warrior and a poet. Mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. like beautiful dichotomy that existed there, you know, like that he's mm-hmm. he's a warrior that wrote the Psalms, you know. Yeah. But while we're in First, Sam- you want to be First Samuel, David, not the declining Second Samuel. Yeah, yeah I prefer the right. yeah before okay. he does all the stupid stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When, when I was in high school, I always wanted to be a Renaissance man, and so David's like yeah. the the pre Renaissance Renaissance he, man. He can exactly. do it all, man. He can yeah. get a bear, a lion, yeah, Goliath. He plays the harp. Plays the, the harp. Right. Now it's just when he was a kid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. for me, uh, Peter, I think I resonate the most with Peter just because he trusts God, but it, sometimes he takes matters into his own hands, just kind of really want, has a lot of zeal for Christ, but sometimes puts his foot in his mouth, says the wrong thing. Uh, sometimes I feel like that's me. And be, the Chosen, the Peter and the Chosen is pretty mm-hmm. cool. So if the Peter and the Chosen was, I don't know, not not like pretty cool, like I think you know, he probably was. I I don't know if I is it, is it because answer. of the fights that he gets into. Yeah, he's kind of like a man's like man. Bets. He can fish, fight, <laughs> yeah, fish. You know. This is the way to go. And he and he's you know asking Jesus good questions. Follow you know he's ready to go. So yeah, I, I resonate a lot with Peter, especially you know as I was a teenager. I feel like mm-hmm. my teenage years, I was like I, I struggled, you know, and I and I thought, wow. God, you're always faithful. I know you. I know you're real, but my actions don't always line up with what I what I believe. And I feel like sometimes that kind of was Peter. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I think um, so, something that comes to mind for me is Timothy. I mean, he doesn't. He's not one who has uh, this like long narrative about him or, or all these stories. But uh, just kind of looking at maybe his family background or, or seeing he's a Renaissance ma- man. Ma- maybe uh, maybe kind of getting the. Uh, I don't know, being in this stage of, of ministry and like mm-hmm. kind of being at the at the beginning of it, hearing some of the things that, that Paul is teaching Timothy or like instru- mm-hmm. like encouraging him and uh, like spurring him on for the, the work that he's doing. I kind of feel like I'm I'm in that stage of, of life and ministry right now. And so 
yeah, reading, so, reading through like those letters in particular has been really helpful. So is Lawrence, Paul, I'm Barnabas, and you're Timothy or something? Yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. I'm not, I'm not that much older than Lawrence, yeah. just a couple years. But. As long as you don't have any kind of like irreconcilable differences, yeah, okay. I just have to agree we'll to part ways. Together. We're not going to part right, ways. So okay. Nobody, no, you're not Mark. All right. Hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. All right. All right, man. I mean, I am the youth pastor and that's like the stereotypical young uh, person job. It's like, well, it's, that's also like the, the anthem of youth ministry, right? Is yeah. That, that don't verse. let anyone look down on you because you're young. I had it on a youth shirt before. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, guys. So, so as we're jumping in, as we're, we're turning to, uh, to first Samuel here, maybe, maybe we should have had pastor Lawrence go last so that we would It'd be an easier segue, but it is what yeah. it is. We did what we did. Um, there, there are four kind of main characters that, that we're looking at in the narrative of First Samuel. Those are of, of Hannah, Samuel, Saul, and David. And so what, what are your thoughts on each of them and how they're presented in, in this narrative? Yeah, I think as we look at this narrative, it's it's the first, we've we've been on this journey and we've been seeing God's faithfulness, you know, starting with Abraham. And this is when the narrative really slows down. I think the Ruth narrative is the first time it slows down. But, it, mm-hmm. you know, De- Deuteronomy, uh, the Exodus, it covers 40 years, but it's a lot of people. But before that, it's covering hundreds of years. And then Judges covers hundreds of years. And then you get to Ruth, and it's, it starts slowing down. And you meet Hannah, mm-hmm. and she's kind of the first person that's really introduced as this woman of God. And she has this amazing prayer of praise and that kind of sets the stage and then so for me i think it's like we get hannah and then samuel this final you know this final judge moving into a prophet preparing us for the time of the kings and it's this transition period and i I just feel like it's it's beautiful what god did and i'm Mm -hmm. so thankful that it starts off with the prayer and the faithfulness of hannah like that's kind of in god's providence Here's this woman who prays, and God uses her prayers and opens her womb so that God's faithfulness can come through. and And I and I just I just like how the story's slowing down a little, and we get a little more detail. Now, there's some you know, there's still some hard stuff in Samuel, just like mm-hmm. we saw in Judges and Joshua. But I I don't know. So for me, I like the fact that now it's it's focusing on these characters, similar to Genesis. It's kind of like Genesis moves from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to his to his children and yeah so so for me that's kind of, that's kind of what i see in the narrative and i mm-hmm. and i love seeing god's faithfulness unfold and you see the intentionality of the connecting points i mean the audience the readers would see hannah and connect immediately to sarah mm-hmm. yeah you know just to see that connection of barrenness and longing to yeah. to have fruit you know mm-hmm. and that's almost that's an intentional connection i see as hannah's is powerful woman of prayer connecting to what the father the original covenant was meant to be mm-hmm. she has this beautiful prayer that's about the world is crazy everything is going crazy but God is faithful mm-hmm. and God is still accomplishing his purposes so she's like this connecting point to the, the covenantal fathers and the the mothers of before you know, it has this connecting point here in this storyline. Then comes this awesome prophet, comes Samuel, who is in that line. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in that line of a, of a Moses, of, a, of, of of the fathers of the faith who are leading the people well. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it's almost presenting this timeline, re-timeline again here, even a sub, uh, yeah. kind of a recast of that time it's period. Good. And coming out of the judges, it's just God's faithfulness amidst all this sin. Mm-hmm. And even the story of Ruth is beautiful because you have this Moabite woman who's now, you know, David's grandmother. 
and the Moabites are part of the sin of Lot's incest, you know, like seeing God's continued faithfulness weaving through the story. And, and I love how it just starts with Hannah, but, but I think these four characters show that despite sin, despite brokenness, especially what we saw in the period of the Judges, God is still redeeming his people. He still had a plan, and ultimately he's preparing the way for this Messiah. And I feel like 1 Samuel really starts, we, it starts unfolding fully in 1 Samuel. And I also think one of the beautiful things about the way the whole narrative of 1 Samuel is, even though it's named after first, named after Samuel, it really right. does tell the story through these people. Mm-hmm. You know, so whereas before it might have just been like, here's what's happening in the tribes and Deuteronomy, here's the law, here's this is more like here's okay, here's Samuel's life, here's Hannah's life, here's da- Saul's life, here's David's life, and it's intentionally weaving that picture together, and it's mm-hmm. just a beautiful way of portraying and teaching the people. Yeah. No, and, and you guys are making these connections of, of these uh, these people that have come before them, and, and almost as if uh, the biblical authors use these uh, stories of old to, and or these new stories that they're telling to, to link them and to, to link to what God has done in the past, and, and to you know it's, it's just so interesting how you have this the people are looking for a family line, right, and you, you see all of this barrenness throughout it and then then to see what god's doing through hannah and you we'll get to to saul and david more in a moment but you guys both are are, uh kind of drawing out what what god is doing through hannah here and and that kind of sets the stage for what what is about to happen in in first and second samuel in this story and so um what are your thoughts about how hannah's story kind of frames the narrative moving forward yeah i think hannah's prayer is one of the most beautiful things written in the entire scriptures that comes out of this plea to God, a barrenness, and she has no child, and God answers her, her prayer, and she gives this beautiful revelation that even as prophecy into the future and, and prepares us for King David, who ultimately falls short but prepares us for Christ. But as I see Hannah and I see this, it's uh, I got this from someone else, but the whole theme of Hannah's prayer is God oppose, opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Mm-hmm. That's the and that sets the stage for First Samuel and Second Samuel. And just to note, we read them as two separate books, but in the original uh, Hebrew scrolls, they were one scroll meant to be together as one consecutive scroll that would be read as one section. But so she's just showing like God is using her and giving her this this praise and this prophecy to say this is what a good king is like. And ultimately, David and Solomon, they fall short of this, but, mm-hmm. but Christ does. And she, she sets the stage for Mary, because mm-hmm. I, would, yeah. I would, almost every Bible scholar would see that Mary's song is, is yeah, a parallel to, yeah, to Hannah's prayer, Hannah crying out. And, and like Lawrence said, it's even linked to Sarah crying out. Mm. So we see, just see God's faithfulness through the story. So I love it that it starts with Hannah. I got to throw this out there, too. I love these prayers and these songs by women of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We have Miriam's prayer that mm-hmm. has just been so profound, so powerful. Hannah's prayer, mm-hmm. so profound, so powerful. Mary's prayer, so profound, right. so powerful. And what a way for the women to in the Bible to be esteemed and lifted up and say their prayers you know, this is the prayer that we're, we're highlighting their prayers. We're highlighting their songs. We say, mm-hmm. these are songs that glorify the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I thank God for women who lead the charge and glorify the Lord and singing songs and writing songs and singing prayers for us, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was very cool that God's using these women. And what I love about this is that this is the beginning of 1 Samuel. Right. This prayer basically is just is intentionally establishing, like, this is what this book is about. 
Mm. This book is about the sovereignty of God. This book about is God's faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness. This book is also about the coming Messiah, as promised at the, at the end, about a judge who's going to come. Mm. And so it's just this this book is setting the stage for what all of First Samuel is going to be about, First and Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love how if you read Hannah's prayer, and then immediately after it, in verse twelve, it says, uh, "Eli's sons." were scoundrels so the priest (laughs) his sons were scoundrels like so here's samuel this kid this child of of a prayer Mm. you know get being raised in the going into the temple and the guy who's running the temple his sons are scoundrels they're taking advantage of their position Mm. and here's the faithfulness of this woman and i love even the contrast that the authors and the editors of samuel put together just to set the stage so i'm so i love the word of god and it is so beautiful that the next phase in israel's history coming out of the judges really is launched with this prayer of hannah yeah and 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 so it's kind of speaking into that uh eli then is is um you know like he's he's this man of god he's he's uh who hannah gives her son over to to him and and under his tutelage he's learning samuel's learning how to be uh this this man of god and and yet you see this contrast with his wicked sons and god judges like they're they're blaspheming the name of god and eli's showing no restraint and so there's judgment for that god's going to hold them accountable uh for that happening um but then you fast forward to Samuel's sons. So Samuel is is a man now, and and with his own kids, and and he's coming to the end of uh, his kind of ministry as as a judge of Israel, and and you see this come up in in First Samuel eight about about the sons of Samuel and um, and how the people kind of turn away from them. So, what are your thoughts or, or insights on on Samuel's sons? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely setting the stage that they were like, we need a king, we need a king, and if you go back to the the thought the time of uh of moses he mm. says hey if if god gives you a king it's 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 going to be tough that guy you know you're you're going to want it because all the nations around you but it's it's going to be hard and and i think that um that it wasn't god's intention for samuel's sons to be the next leader god had a plan he had a plan for his people and they and he allows saul to become king. So I think you have kind of this contrast of Eli's sons, then you have Samuel's sons, and you have this 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 chain that's coming through. And when we just hit a point where they're just like, God's like, okay, they want a king. I'm going to anoint a king. I'm going to mm-hmm. give them someone who can lead them like a king. But then all the things that were warned about in the uh, Pentateuch, when you have a king, will come true. Mm-hmm. And God allows, you know, through this through this process, uh, God tells Samuel, it's okay, anoint Saul as king. And then they get to the, that's that's where we get to the point in the narrative. Mm-hmm. So the the idea of the Israelites needing a king is something that's kind of very interesting because originally the point is they don't need a king. Right. Right? They're a theocracy. They're they're God led. God is their king. God yeah. is their king. But the problem I think it showed over and over again that that's not he, they're not making God their king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's almost like God in his uh, relenting and his sovereignty said, okay, you, you don't need a king. You're not supposed to have a king because I'm supposed to be king, but you're not making me your king. So he relented and then lets a king come in for them. 
Mm-hmm. But ultimately, to point them that see these kings are going to fail anyway. Mm-hmm. You need you still need me as your king, but I'll let you see that your desire for a king is going to ultimately lead to failure because you need the true king. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an interesting play. I, I see it almost as a parent. You know, you, you, you tell your kids, like, no, I got to have this thing. I, I, I got to do this thing. I just have to. Yeah, but just eat all that. Yeah, you want to eat all the whole one pound chocolate bar? Yeah, sure. okay, sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and do that. Oh, that doesn't satisfy you? Okay, you know, oh, you're, you're sick. Out? You yeah. know? So, so you're saying this isn't an, an endorsement by God in what they're asking He's for. A, he he, he yeah. gives them the desires of their hearts, but it's not necessarily... Uh, affirmation. He's not saying, "Well done, you figured out what you needed." Right. Yeah. He's, he's saying you're actually turning away from what you need. Yeah. And they they always turn to other gods. They always turn to the other cultures. They just can't. They they just don't know how to live without you know with, without turning to these idols. And mm-hmm. they can live. And with the judges, it'd be like there was a little bit of peace, and then they they turned evil again. And and the cycle. And so Samuel is this this unique position right now. This where we are in the narrative is is where God is shifting them. Okay, I'm taking you out of. I took you out of Egypt. We brought you into the promised land. You had these judges. Like Samuel is kind of the end of this prophet judge. You know, the end of this judge person. The priests are failing. You're going to have a king, and that's that's where we are. Yeah. So so we you know we at Waypoint we talk about this idea of. Um, like we we all we want to be our own god or we we want to rule ourselves we want to have control we want to do things on our own we maybe maybe we want god to like course correct for us but then once he's done that we're like okay god like you can take your hand off the wheel i got it now but then it, it the people of israel here they're asking for a king they're they're asking to to be ruled in a sense why why would they do that like how, how relating it back to ourselves like why would they ask for this why would they want to keep I think God knew and I think he prepared a way I think I think they were just human and Tim Keller always says Americans are like oh we don't have a king we don't have a king you know we don't need a king we broke away from England but we mm-hmm. have musicians and actors and actresses and and uh, athletes we and politicians we'll make a king or a queen out of somebody I also think a part of the issue is we live in a different time. Yeah. We live in a much safer time in America. Yeah. Mm. Back then, you needed a king to protect you. Yeah. You know, there's warlords yeah. and tribes and, you know, nations attacking all the time. Yeah, the so Philistines at any moment wanted the land. So they were like, that. they're almost literally sitting there. Every time the weather's nice, they're attacking them. That happens throughout for Samuel. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the king protects. Mm-hmm. They're also looking around and seeing other kingdoms with kings. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, look how glorious they are. Look, right. look I want to be like them. So I think a king for us is a different, like for us, yeah. we almost balk at the idea of a king. Mm-hmm. But then even though we'll create our own even kind of king. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for them, is they needed one. They knew that they needed a king because she without a shepherd struggled. They don't know how where to find food. They also understood themselves as they need protection. They need a place for food. They need, they need the community to protect the, their way of living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in a sense, what I'm hearing you guys say is, is uh, we, we come up with all different forms of God substitutes in, that fit our time and day. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, maybe we as Americans don't feel like we need kings, but we, we find other God substitutes. That's right. Yeah. And I, I think the amazing thing about in the first Samuel narrative, in, in the account, the historical account, is the time when they, they got this king. They, lose, they actually lose a battle, and the ark gets taken 
I guess this is after Saul's king, right? The ark gets taken. After Saul's been anointed as king, the ark gets taken. The Philistines actually have it. The Philistines have it, and they put it in their own temple. And then God defeats their, them but through plagues. So actually, God is saying, I'm more powerful than your king. If you really want to win the army, it's not the might of your king. It's the might of me, which they should have known from Joshua. Yeah, it's like, before. Oh, it's yeah, before. Right. It okay, before, it's yeah. before. So even even in that that idea. So I, I think even the, the narrator is kind of almost laughing. He's like, hey, in Joshua, they won without a king. And they the, actually, the worse the army was, almost the better they did in battle mm-hmm. throughout Israel's history. Mm-hmm. Like the, the more the deck was stacked against them, the better they did. So, so even if their desire for a king, I, I agree with you, Lawrence, really was this military person. But God's like, hey, the, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm the one who's going to win mm-hmm. the battle. Your king is, is, is my vessel, but I'm going to win the battle. And it just goes to show, too, though, that these, their biggest fear was like the Philistines at the time. They were the enemy. They were the Vikings mm-hmm. raiding the England. They were, that's who the enemy was. And it shows like even without a king, here comes a plague, yeah. they just, and they're like, oh, man, get this ark out of here. We don't mm-hmm. want this here. This yeah. God is more powerful than even our armies. Mm-hmm. And so he's showing that in the midst of that, they're so like, yeah, give us a king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so this call, give us a king. We want a king. We need a king. And so God says, okay, have a king. And so the king that they get is Saul. Yeah. Um, and so, so Saul enters into the story. He enters into this picture. He assumes this role that the Israel is calling for. So what are we to make of him? Yeah, fairly humble beginnings. You know, it, 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 the story of the calling of Saul isn't like he thought he was this great, amazing person. I mean, it, it's, But he it's, was beautiful. And he was, it does say that. It he, was, he, was, yeah. he was a head above. Yeah, he was a head above and he was handsome. So, so everyone thought, this is the guy. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes God shows that. And, and I believe, I don't know. We don't know. If Saul would have been more faithful, could it have worked out differently? He wasn't, so we, we, we never know. But we do know that God anoints him and he fits the part. And he, he did start off trusting God and, and honoring God. And then there's this slow drift. And then it's a really rapid decline. And I think it's part of the thing, the reason that the Bible is intentional because no one else has really mentioned all the time about what he looked, how tall he was. Right. I think the Bible mentioned because that's what, like, oh, that's what you want. That's mm-hmm. what you're looking for. You mm-hmm. want that guy who fits the bill. Mm-hmm. You want that guy who looks the part. Okay, fine. Let's see how see how that works out for you. Yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting that so so we talked about Samuel as as being this judge, and then he kind of shifts into more of this prophetic role um, in the in the life of Israel, and and so the the wording that. The biblical authors use or choose to use for for Samuel, who's the one who's going to appoint the king, is a seer. So Samuel's the seer. He's seeing on behalf of Israel, and what does he see? He sees qualifications. He mm-hmm. sees he sees this guy who who seems to, at least from physical appearances, seems to to match what maybe maybe the the ideals of the day for what a king should be like. Mm-hmm. Saul, Saul checks all the boxes, um, but then, you know, you, you see this story unfold, and, and so what, what, it, what about, so what, what happens with Saul? Well, dishonesty, lack of integrity, and just pride. He just begins to take his role, take matters into his own hands. He doesn't trust God. There's this account where God asks ask him to completely annihilate the Macalites who have been their nemesis for a long time. They're just these 
terrible, evil people. And this is another one of those, uh, the same word in Joshua, the same word in Deuteronomy, where God's like, those people are so evil, you need to completely eliminate them. And if you need, if you want to talk more about that, we're here to talk to you guys, the, the way the Old Testament phrases that, it doesn't make sense to us in modern English, but it makes sense to them. But Saul, in his arrogance, doesn't actually kill the king. He brings him back, keeps him alive like as a trophy. And it just begins to show that Saul's like, I'm not going to trust God. I, I got this. I'm the powerful one. The people need me. You know, I got this. And mm-hmm. after that moment, God tells Samuel, like, he's not the man anymore. And I think it all goes back to Hannah's prayer. Mm-hmm. That God, yeah. you know, God exalts the humble and opposes the proud. And I think that when Samuel begins to be proud and, and not humble and not say, hey, God's the one who anointed me. I didn't get this anointing because of something great that I did. God's the one who already, you know, got the ark back to us. That begins his demise. And that slow demise, how how prevalent is that in, in so many of our circles as people come into power or success? Or, Even in the church. Yeah, in the, yeah. I, that's exactly what I was thinking about was actually in the church. Mm-hmm. Is It's just easy. When you become successful, when you become... Um, good at what you're doing. It's so easy to take all the credit for yourself, to think you don't need anything else, or you did it on your own, or whatever it may be. Uh, I think his demise is honestly a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, because it, it, as as he quote unquote rises in power, it seems like what's actually happening is he's becoming more and more insecure, right? Yeah, and and becomes more and more. He he like has this incessant need to to please everyone else. Mm-hmm. And he like, and so that leads him to not not yielding to the Lord, but but yielding to uh, human wisdom and human thought and human desires, and and so he just succumbs to that. He, he and and it's even interesting, you know. We like I mentioned language, uh, this seeing language, and so the the people see and they they take what's attractive to them. We said that that Saul is beautiful to the eyes. Um, it's it's very similar to Genesis three language of, yeah. of seeing seeing something that's attractive, seeing mm-hmm. being being able to take the place of God, taking and 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 for their own, um, and then seeing the results of that. God God lets them experience the results of their decisions. He lets us experience the the results of our decisions. There's consequences, uh, good or bad, and, and we get to face those. And so you have this this contrast then. So uh, Samuel or, or Saul is this attractive figure but then and and you see this this rise and fall of of Saul as as king and as he's kind of on the the decline now now we're looking for a new king and, and God but God doesn't tell Saul directly he tells right, Samuel right. like he says Samuel Saul's not my man anymore he's not my anointed he actually yeah. pulls the spirit from him and and then asks Samuel to go anoint Another. Yeah. So, can you guys can you elaborate on that for a second? Of so you you have this what in the narrative it seems like you have two kings, but then David becomes the the anointed one, but Saul seems to still act as though he's, he's the one in, who's assuming the role. Yeah. It's it's a little tricky on when. So the coolest story and one probably one of the coolest stories in the whole Bible is when Samuel shows up at Jesse David's father's house. Hmm. And they're from Bethlehem, the small insignificant village. Uh, now it's the most significant city in the world because of Jesus, but at the time it wasn't, and it's linked to the Ruth story and uh, that we've heard before First Samuel. But 
Jesse has eight sons, and he literally goes down and he presents them in order. He's like, well, he's obviously the one. Samuel, you know, says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons as king. And Jesse's like, wow, you know, like probably not even thinking, oh, Saul's king. And he's probably thinking of the person to take over when Saul dies. He, he's not, he's just, he's, he's stunned. So he brings the first son. No, the second son, the third son, the fourth son, so on. Mm-hmm. Until he's like, hey, do you have any more sons? He's gone through mm-hmm. seven. And he's like, well, we got David, the little guy, you know, who's out tending the sheep. And he's like, show me him. And God anoints the one that, the last one that Jesse would would even think about. The one he wouldn't even present. The one that wasn't mentioned. The one that wasn't even mentioned, you know, when he said, these are my sons. So I think it begins to show how, how God works. And, you know, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think that that theme starts in the Old Testament. It's in Hannah's prayer. It's in the Proverbs. It's, it's, and God is really showing that. And David is a humble person at this time. He mm-hmm. is, he, and God chooses him, but he's also powerful and he's also can do it. Like he's capable of it. And that's what leads to the whole David and Goliath account. The, the most, mm-hmm. when people talk about David and First Samuel, they, all they think about is David and Goliath. That's right. what every story, every kid's children's message or account is. That's what it's all about, right? Which, which the kid's story and the biblical story are very different. Very yes. different. Very yes. different. Yes. <laughs> which I think we should all tell our kid's story the biblical No, I'm not kidding. He pulls the sword out. <laughs> yeah. and he, okay. And then we censored that part. And he cut yeah. his head off. And brings no, but, it. but what I love about this account is that it's not just an account to show, look how awesome David is. Mm-hmm. It's it's account to show if you obey in covenant faithfulness, God is faithful. Yeah. And it's just showing what Saul was not doing, not obeying, while David is obeying. Mm-hmm. It's really just to show the point like a good king obeys God. Yeah, it's interesting that Saul makes the taunt. I mean, uh, not Saul. Uh, Goliath makes the taunt for like 40 days. Mm-hmm. And David's there like visiting his brothers. He's like the little little brother bringing them some food and mm-hmm. stuff. And he's like, who's that guy taunting us? He's not allowed to taunt us. He's like the little brother, you know, get away from us. Get get out of here. He's like, he's like scrappy. Yeah, scrappy he's a little dude. scrappy yeah. brother. He's like, get out of here. You're not the real rest athlete. <laughs> let me at him. Let me at him. You know, he's like, shut up. You know, and, and his brothers are mad at him. And he's like, wait, that guy is taunting God. Mm-hmm. And so it really is like the story of David and Goliath is really a st- story of God. It's a story of God's power. I, I believe David defeated Goliath because he had God on his side mm-hmm. and not because of Anything other than that, because that's the only way he could have done it. He doesn't even carry it's, a sword. To and battle. it's not a story of a superior weapon. It's not a story of ranged weapons versus close combat weapons. Yeah. Like people had slings. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like one of those things. Oh, I'm afraid of this little kid with a sling. So it's not a story about the sling being a better weapon. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a story about God and God's power and God anointing David and giving him the ability to do this. And then that really is the demise of Saul. And then they, there's these cheers. They come back and people are like, Saul kills thousands, but David kills ten thousands. Mm-hmm. At that moment, Saul, maybe God could have spared him and been like, okay, I'm still going to, David, there'll be a smooth transition. David will be the king. But at that moment, Saul's like, I'm going to kill David. You know, mm-hmm. he begins this, th- this idea that he's like, I'm going to do everything I can to not obey God, to do what I need to do for my own, for my own pride and my own power. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you hit on earlier is that, this is what led to Saul's demise is that as soon as he had power, he would do anything to keep it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and the very threat he was became so insecure. Why are they cheering David more? Why you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I see so happen. So many of us is those when we have nothing, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't have anything anyway, it's not a big deal. But once you get, whether it's power or wealth or whatever it may be, that's where we become so much more insecure about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last line of Hannah's prayer of praise. The the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, the book starts off, like, when Saul didn't take his strength from the Lord, it didn't work. And David is thrives because he takes his strength from the Lord. And there's some fascinating scenes going after this. Like, David could actually kill Saul on multiple accounts. I remember Saul wanted David dead. It wasn't yeah. like, it's like David was literally yeah. running away from Saul. And David's right? men were like, kill him. He, and there's the fascinating account that, you know, every teenage, every kid likes the David and Goliath story, but every teenager likes the, the Saul peeing in the cave when yeah. David, <laughs> David's men are like, yeah. there's your chance, kill yeah. him. And he just cuts a little bit of the side of his, his, his uh, robe and doesn't kill him because David's an honorable man. David shows restraint. David shows patience. David is, is the symbol of, of, of trusting God. And Saul becomes the symbol of trusting yourself. Hmm. Yeah, no, that, I mean that is that's a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time we heard that. I was probably in like fifth, eighth, sixth grade. And my, me and my buddies were like, "Wait, Saul was peeing in a cave," and yeah. and we just were like, "Holy cow!" Yeah. So so as we're we're talking about um, Saul and David as as these contrasting figures, they're, they're these contrasting kings. Um, it, I, I've always found it interesting to, to kind of hold intention. Uh, you know, we, we, Lawrence, you mentioned earlier about David being the man after God's own heart. And, and so uh, to see it as, as like what God is doing, like God, God sees the heart, whereas we see the outer appearance, um, to, to kind of hold those two in tension and, and to see that. Um, and we, we've kind of spelled out more about, about David and, and his ascent to uh, as, as being God's anointed one. But, but how do you look at David um, in this part of the narrative, and and then in the second part in Second Samuel, then it, with in respect of history, yeah, it's it's tough because this is the point of the narrative where David's just jamming. He's trusting God each day. He writes Psalm eighteen, which is one of the most beautiful psalms to trust God even amidst of trouble. I think he writes like Psalm mm-hmm. fifty-two or fifty-seven. In this point, this is when David is just just walking with the spirit and again he has to trust god each day so it's almost like the more adversity we have the more we trust god the more Mm -hmm. and then in second samuel he actually becomes the king and he he's not as bad as saul because he's more repentant he has a repentant heart and he and he turns back to god when he does sin but he does almost all the same things types of things that are you know he he can seize his control he doesn't trust God. And yeah, so the contrast in 2 Samuel is even David, the man after God's own heart, just can't do it because he. when you get that much power and you get that much praise, we, it's just hard for us to trust God. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, really hard. Any thoughts on the David? Well, I think, I think that's the intentionality of, of the authors is to show that even the God, man after God's own heart, even this great, wonderful, loyal, obedient king, he fails. Mm-hmm. He's still not the king that can protect the people forever. Right. He's still not the coming. He's still not the Messiah. He's yeah. still not the promised one. 
You know, and so even people who might have thought he would be, you know, I bet you when people were cheering him on and people were cheering this him on, mm-hmm. there were probably this idea, not as well formed yet at this point, mm-hmm. but still has somewhat of this idea. Mm-hmm. And I bet you they were like, is this the guy? Mm-hmm. Is he the king that's going to conquer the land for us and do everything for, you know? But he's not. He fails. And the Uriah, the Hittite with Bathsheba, who's actually Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother, you know, God redeems even that story. But that's... That's when it just shows that, you know, he just can't do. He fails because mm-hmm. the power corrupts him, and he. It's just hard to trust God mm-hmm. when you have everything when you don't need to. He is like, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want, and he repents of that. And thank thank God for Nathan. And, and you know, Psalm 51 is is part of that. And we get this beautiful story of God's forgiveness, and through that. But at the same time, it just shows ultimately. We need the right king. And the beautiful need- thing is, the only one who's ever been, whoever has had, had all the power, but never been corrupted, is Jesus. Mm. That's what makes him worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, he had all the power, true power, beyond power, but he was never corrupted by that power. As a matter of fact, he laid that power aside and truly humbled himself. Mm. That's, the, that's the king we needed. That's the king we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so guys, we uh, we kind of peeked under the hood of First Samuel here, and and have, have uh, looked more in depth at, at these different people and and what God was doing through their their different stories and how they're interwoven. Um, and, and Lawrence, you're even alluding to this as, as we kind of. I, I I've always thought that First uh, Sam or just Samuel, the story of Samuel in general, would be a great movie. It has it has everything you would want, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's all there. Um, great great. Uh, Love stories and and war and and friendship and and just camaraderie, all, all these different kinds of things happening. But as as we kind of look at the the big picture again, Lawrence, you're already starting to to allude to this. Um, how does First Samuel point us to the good news revealed about Jesus? Well, I think it starts off by showing us that our desire for a king is there because we want we need God as king. Hmm. And the, these examples of human kings that we place and look for in the wrong ways are just examples of that human kings cannot fulfill the need that we have. They're not sufficient. Mm-hmm. We need a, a righteous king. We need a holy king. We need a, a king that is able to lay aside power. Mm-hmm. And so I think First Samuel points us to the king that we're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. It points us to the Messiah that's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I love the narrative. I love Matthew 1. Where it, talks, it gives the genealogy of Jesus, and it, it mentions, you know, uh, Ruth. It mentions... Um, Bathsheba. It mentions, you know, these are the right, the right. women in the line. Tamar. Which Tamar. These are the women in the line, and and David's in that line. He's from David. You know, he is the messianic king that they're waiting for. Uh, Paul uses David in in First Timothy and in uh, Romans when he says this is the gospel. You know, he he links Jesus to David because it's it is the gospel. It's this this anticipated Messiah who's going to save rightly save the people. And I think First Samuel is really we, where the, the narrative begins to unfold, and we begin to see that we can't save ourselves at all, mm-hmm. that this project where God calls Abraham, and there's 400 years, and then there's you know, the, the, the Exodus, which is the central theme of, of the Old Testament. It's, it's the pinnacle when God saves them, and it's, it's, it's what they always look back to. They get out of that. There's 40 years in the wilderness. They get into the promised land. Joshua leads them in. And everything falls apart. And the, the best they could do is David. They get to David, 
and then Solomon comes and then it just declines again. So all of this is this is the this is kind of the the point of the narrative where we just see like even with a good king we need Jesus. We need the Messiah mm-hmm. and and we need it's it's good. It was good to have David. It's better to have David than most of the other kings who followed after him in Israel's history. There's mm-hmm. you know about 50 kings and maybe 10 of them are decent, you mm-hmm. know, and most of them are terrible. Right. And so it's good to have David or Josiah or, you know, one of the better kings. But at the same time, all of them fall short. Mm-hmm. And it just, God was in all this. God loves his people. God is faithful. And the story of 1 Samuel is, is just a point in the narrative where we, we just can say, God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you for raising up David. And we thank you that we don't have to look to an earthly king. Mm-hmm. And I think if Saul really would have looked to God, he would have been so satisfied. Hmm. And those moments when David was satisfied in God, those Psalms that we have, those are some of the sweetest moments in the Bible. Hmm. And the moments where David took matters into his own hands, those are probably the saddest moments in the whole Bible. So Hmm. we can use David as an example of saying, when we are turning from God, we can even literally go to the things that he wrote as he's turning back to God and he's... He's trusting God through these trials, and, and even the, when the, the, the trial is because of his own sin. So I, I think 1 Samuel is, is really, really important, and it, it, for me personally, it's not just about David and Goliath. It's about mm-hmm. God and God's faithfulness and looking at the tragedy of Saul and that, that even in David's failures, because he trusted God, God used him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, it kind of kind of makes me think about you know as as we're seeing God weave this story throughout the Old Testament and through all these covenants and through all these these um, these types that are that are pointing to Christ. Uh, where where are we going to find our hope? Can we? we it wasn't Moses? It wasn't Joshua? It wasn't in the priesthood? It wasn't in the judges? It's not in the kings? And yet, through through all of these things, these are all end up pointing back to Jesus as as the true and better one of, of all of these things. And and even uh, thinking about the the term Christ, the title Christ or Messiah, as as being this uh, this perfect summation of the the anointed offices, the prophet, priest, and king. Uh, these anointed roles and and what they are they are doing. They're they're all different aspects of of doing the same thing of of. Uh, of how how the people could relate to God and how we see this fulfilled in Christ and, and he's the one who's who's doing it he's perf- he's he's done it he's done it for us and and we look to him as our our only hope um, and and that's a sure hope it's it's something that that we can hold to steadfastly and so praise the Lord praise the Lord for these stories and and what he's doing through it um, and so yeah guys we uh, we wandered through this uh, I think um, I'm sure there's there's going to be more questions to come about First Samuel and on, but uh, I just want to say thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, for walking us through First Samuel and, and pointing us to Jesus and, and the hope that we have in Him and um, and how we can find we can find mm-hmm. the gospel rooted in, in in all of God's story. It's it's all over the place. Yeah, so, thanks. And for those of you guys in the Bible reading plan, press on. And just just to warn you. Second Samuel is pretty cool, and then the kings—the kings are brutal. But we're gonna—you're gonna see God's faithfulness weave woven through every story. And please don't hesitate to ask us questions. We love doing this together with you, and we love you guys. Yeah. Have a great week. Have a great week, guys. Take care.